can't preach like this here. Don't you know you're pastoring in the middle of bootleg country? So many people in this church pay tithes on this bootleg liquor. You can't be preaching on that stuff. So the next Sunday, he built him a new message, and he come back, and he preached that Sunday on the ruins of tobacco. Another board member come to him after service that day and said, Pastor, I know that you, you are doing your best and that you feel like you've got a great message, but I just want you to know we grow some of the greatest tobacco leaves in the world right here in Kentucky. And the best smoking leaves you've ever smoked, you can't be preaching on that here in this church. And, well, the pastor said, well, if I can't preach on liquor and I can't preach on smoking, what in the world am I going to preach on? A fellow looked up to him and says um, in his old accent, preach on uh, our witch doctors. They ain't one of them in 10,000 miles of here. Now, I said that to say this. We're okay with preaching on what somebody else is doing wrong. We're okay with preaching on what the Baptists are doing, or we're okay preaching on what, you know, this tribe or that tribe or the other is doing. But I want you to know that preaching on sin or against sin or on hell or any of that has almost become taboo in the pulpits of America. And so isn't that the attitude of the world? We would rather pastors preach on something that makes us feel good because we're not doing the same sin that somebody else is doing. As long as he'll stay off our sin, we're okay because we can say, go get him, preacher. Yeah. So today I welcome you to hashtag struggles. And my wife had a shirt. I don't know why she didn't wear it today. It says the struggle is real. I'm going to get her to wear it before this, this season is over, this series is over. And uh, one of my grandbabies had a, had a it might have been Nolan that was wearing something that said the snuggle is real. <laughs> and, but here, here's what you got to know today, that the church in large part has been numbed, anesthetized, desensitized to the effects of sin and bad decisions. Now, I didn't expect to get a big load of amens right there, so, but I'm going to just plow right on uh, because I know I'm right there in that spot. Are you with me? But we have been, like Paul said to the Romans, rocked to sleep. Our eyes have gotten heavy, and, and they're beginning to close. And I'm speaking spiritually that. The, so in other words, when we become numb to uh, certain things, they just don't bother us anymore. Things that used to just tear our heart out and bring us to tears, we've just kind of gotten numb to it. So I want to talk with you about the struggle of numbness. And my goal is that by the time I'm done, that you will have awakened out of that sleep. Let me tell you this. I dreamed a dream the other night, and I don't dream an awful lot, but sometimes uh, uh, when I do it, it's kind of rough. Anyway, I'm dreaming... And uh, have you ever dreamed to where you're, you're dreaming and you know you're dreaming and you're trying to wake yourself up and you can't wake yourself up? Anybody ever done that? Let me see hand. Well, good. I'm not crazy. So, but, but nonetheless, that's what I was at. And I was trying my best to wake up and I was like, oh, oh, oh. and my wife finally, what are you doing? 
And I was like, oh, thank God. She sort of shook me awake. And that's what I'm hoping to do to you today is to just shake you and say, wake up, wake up. So here we go. When a dentist numbs our mouth, and I hate going to the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. I loathe and detest going to the dentist. However, I am grateful for that lidocaine that they have. Now, I got a son-in-law. Y'all call me crazy. Todd don't let him numb his when they pull him or fill him. Now, I don't know if he's just glutton for pain or what, but anyway, um, I'm thankful for that numbing medication. I'll never forget one time I went to see Dr. Jeffrey Capes. He's a great oral surgeon. He's going to take both wisdom teeth on the left side. And so I was kind of worried about this thing, and he said, well, you know, they, they make you pay up and do all the financial end of it first while you're still good and awake. Amen. So I went ahead and paid my half, and the insurance paid their half. That's back when insurance would pay half. And uh, anyway, I, I, I done all that, and I, I got back there, and they said, well, we're going to give you a little bit of gas. I said, okay, go ahead, and it's going to taste like spearmint or whatever. I said, all right, you know. And, they, and then he said, well, they're going to come in in a minute, and they're going to hook an IV into your arm, and they're going to uh, sort of just you count backwards from 10 down. And so I got to about 7, 10, 9, 8, 7. And then I don't know how, but somehow I got to my couch at 5 o'clock that evening. That was 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't remember how I got in the truck. I don't remember how I got out or how I walked in the house. None of that. I don't remember. You know why? Because I had been put to sleep. I had been anesthetized. I had been desensitized. They went in and grabbed a couple of my teeth and tore them out did some cutting. I went back and looked and had stitches in my mouth and all of that. And you know what? I didn't even care. My wife woke me up at 5 o'clock and I, I had a big old mouth full of cotton. I said, I wish they'd pull these teeth. And she said, they've been gone since 10 o'clock. <laughs> what I'm saying is this. When the devil rocks us to sleep spiritually, he'll do things to us we don't even realize has already been done. So... Uh, this was a good thing for me, uh, but, but while we're lulled to sleep, if you're not careful, it's great at the doctor's office when they have to do a procedure. It's not great when we're living and we're coming to church or not, but yet we think we're okay with God, but yet we've been numbed, and things are happening in our lives, and it is going to affect us. It's so important that you know that because in large part, the church has indeed been anesthetized. Listen, some of, some of the attacks that we're under right now, the attacks is because Satan has come to us and he's rocked us to sleep and he sort of, you know, when they get ready to put that shot in your mouth, they just sort of dip it in something and, and just rub your gum and he just sort of massaged us down with a numbing oil so that the words of the preacher and the words of God and the Bible just sort of bounce off of us and we don't really feel the effect of it anymore. Are you with me? Say amen. One of the selling features that doctors and dentists have, it says on a billboard, no shots, no pain. And so that's the way we like it. And it's great there, but it is not here. It's a good thing at the doctor's office, but it's not a, it's not a good thing in church. When we become desensitized to things and situations, you, let, let me give you an example. For right now, we think about third world countries. And you know what we say? Because we're so numb, uh, 
for the poor and the needy of this world, in this country and others, somebody else will raise the money. Somebody else will carry them the gospel. Somebody else will feed them, you know, with the quarter that it takes to feed them today. Or someone else will carry the gospel to them. And we are so numb to it, we just feel like somebody else will do it. You ever heard it when somebody was supposed to do it and nobody done it and anybody could have done it and everybody should have done it, but nobody did it? We just get numb to it for those in that country. and we, Somebody else will be the hands of Jesus. Somebody else will be the feet of Jesus. Andy Stanley says this, why don't we just do for one what we wish we could do for everybody? We've become numb to sin and its effects. L let me say this, largely because of men in the pulpit that won't preach on sin. Why? Because people will quit coming and quit giving. But you know what? More important than to me, if you quit coming or quit giving, is that when I stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I say, I preach what thus saith the Lord. And you'll stand and give an account just like I will. So what I'm saying is it is possible for us to become so calloused and so desensitized that we don't even realize what's going on in our lives. Now, I, I want to show a video to you in just a second. I don't want you, it's not a political statement, and you know I'm not going there. But I want to show you how we become numb to things. And, and this happened to me. I was, it, I was uh, at the Carinet Banquet, and, and I saw this, actually. And it literally blew my mind. And, and it's how we become numb to certain things. How many of you know, believe that God is the giver of life? God alone is the giver of life. That's right. And um, so when a child is conceived, it is because God gives that life. Well, I, I saw this illustration. I just want you to see it because we become numb to various things. Abortion is one of them. Play the video. Right where you are, I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BB striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution, the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, the Korean Conflict, the Conflict in Vietnam. September 11th and the War on Terror. Since 1973, the War of the Unborn Child.
every BB that hit the can, 10,000 lives. That blew my mind when we talk about World War II versus 9-11, yada, yada, yada. What I'm saying is, is that we as a country and a church have been numbed to it. It doesn't really matter to us anymore. Another great example comes out of the book of Ezekiel. Years ago, I preached a message entitled, When God Left Home. And the temple there in Jerusalem was that where they came to worship. It is where uh, it was supposed to be a sacred place, a hallowed place. The prophet Ezekiel was scheduled to be a priest upon his 30th birthday, but uh, it, it turned out that God called him to be a prophet to the nations. And instead of becoming a priest at the temple, God called him to be a prophet. Israel had been taken to Babylon <clears throat> because of their sin. And I want, you to show what, I want you to see what happened. They were a 1,000 miles away by the river Kibar. And God comes and gets Ezekiel from beside the river and carries him by a lock of his hair and brings him back to Jerusalem. And he says, I want you to understand now the judgments of God and why I've done what I've done. And it comes out of Ezekiel chapter 8. And so um, I, I want you to understand the vision is going to allow Ezekiel to see what's going on in the temple and why God is so deeply, deeply offended. So notice with me uh, verse 1. It says, in the sixth year, in the sixth month of the fifth day, um, I, I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me. And the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there, and I looked, and I saw a figure of a man. Next verse. <coughs> that like of a man from what appeared to me from his waist down, he was like fire. And uh, from there up, his appearance was as bright as the glowing metal. He said he stretched out what looked like in his hand and took me by the hair of my head. And the Spirit led me between the earth and the heaven, flying through the air, if you will. And in the visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court where stood, or where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. Verse 4 says, And there before me was the glory of God of Israel. And in the vision I had seen, as in the vision that I had seen in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look toward the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I saw the idol of jealousy. So now we can go on to verse 6. And here's something I want to show you right here. Well, let me go ahead and read 6. He says, um, And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see more or uh, things even more detestable than this. Now we're going to go through this chapter. I want you to understand God has brought Ezekiel to the house of God. He's brought him to the temple. He said, and when I got there, I saw the idol of jealousy. Some believe this to be uh, the 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 goddess Astarte, or the Canaanite goddess. And in any case, it's a violation of uh, Deuteronomy scripture that says that we're not to make any graven image or have any gods before us. God is on his way out of the temple. He is leaving the temple, and you might ask why. Well, first of all, when he gets there, he sees the idol of jealousy. He sees the, the, pole, the Asherah pole of Astarte. You see, and his sovereignty now is being challenged. He's been re reduced to uh, some nature god, if you will. 
And uh, notice with me now verse 7 through 13. And the Bible says, and then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. In other words, he sees a hole in the wall coming into the church or the sanctuary. He said, so I dug in and I saw a doorway there. And he said to me, come in and see the wicked and the detestable things that they are doing here. Uh, so I went in and I looked and I saw portrayed all over the walls all kinds of crawling things and unclean animals and the idols of Israel. In front of them stood the 70 elders of Israel. Who is this? The 70 elders. It's the Sanhedrin court. Are you with me? These are supposed to be some of the greatest and devout men of the day. And I'm telling you that they have become desensitized to what they ought to be. They've been numbed up, if you will. How is it that you erect a pole to Astarte just outside the north entrance of the sanctuary? How is it that when they, that they bore through and Ezekiel comes into the, the walls there, now if you could picture the Holy of Holies back here, this being the holy place and that being the outer court, how when he comes in and burrows through, he looks on the walls and he, you know what he sees? He sees the drawings of serpents. He sees the drawing of reptiles, alligators, crocodiles, etc. You know what this is? This is gods of the Egyptians. Are you hearing me? So now we have the Canaanite god uh, of Astarte. Now we have the Egyptian gods painted on the walls of the church. Tell me you hadn't gone crazy. Tell me you hadn't been numbed or anesthetized, desensitized. I'm talking about right here, the closest thing. And then he says, more than that, I see what looked like Jehazaniah, one of the 70 elders of the Sanhedrin court. And they, all of them, at their own little alcove, with their own little censers, with the smoke, worshiping these idols and these gods. It's going to get worse. Let's look. He says, uh, uh, wherever we left off, uh, in front of them stood the 70 elders of Israel, Jehaz and I, the son of Shapen, standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant uh, cloud of incense was rising. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? He said, each at the shrine of his own idol. They, they have their own little alcove, you know. He said, they say, the Lord does not see us. This is what America is saying today. This is what the church is saying today. The Lord don't really see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And, and let's go on. He said to them, um, you will see more. Uh, and they will be even be more, doing more detestable things than this. So he, he, he says it's going to even get worse. How many of you remember the golden calf that, that Aaron made? And he said, well, this is, you know, this is the God that brought him out of Egypt. It's going to get worse. They go in. Here's the final scene that happens in uh, this next verse here. He said, uh, verse 16, he tells us, he then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and there at the entrance to the temple, between the portico and the altar, there were 25 men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east. They were bowing down to the sun in the east. So now let me get this right. So we, we have now the Canaanite pole of Astarte out front, Come inside and we have the Egyptian emblems painted all over the inner court. And then we go a little bit further and we find, we find 25 men with their backside toward the Holy of Holies. Nobody would ever turn their back on Jehovah, but yet to show your backside to him while you kneel and bow to the gods of the sun. Sun worship. 
17, he says, he said to me, you have seen this son of man. Uh, is it a trivial matter for the people of Judah to do the detestable things that they're doing here? Must they also fill the land with the violence and continually arouse my anger? Look at them putting their branch to their nose. He says, therefore, I will deal with them in, in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them. Although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Such teachings come through uh, hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That's what Timothy said. Uh, and that's what I wanted to get to anyway, that we sear our conscience as with a hot iron. Have you ever seen a hot iron melt wax or a wax string? It just goes right through it. That's what happens is when we do something so long, we decide we just don't feel bad about it anymore. So here we find ourselves, uh, 25 men with their backs toward God, and uh, they've turned their backs on him. And I, I want you to get this. These men are calling on God. They're doing anything now, and that's kind of what we've got. We, whatever will tickle our fancy. If we can get Egypt to help, if we, if we can get uh, Babylon to help, if we can get Canaan to help, or whatever it is. So here's, here's the deal. And, and I said to you that we've numbed ourselves. We've become desensitized to what's going on. And so while, while they're in the temple, they are in the temple. Is there any history of this? Yes, I'm glad you asked. You remember the temple at Shiloh when Eli was the high priest and he had two boys, one named Hophni and one named Phinehas. You know what they were doing? They were sleeping with temple prostitutes on the temple steps. Now, I mean, it's one thing to do that down on 8th Street in Jacksonville or somewhere else, are you hearing me? But they've done brought that to the very courtyard of where we worship and meet with God and somehow think it's okay. So you know what happened there? You remember when, when they fell into a war and they sent the temple, the Ark of the Covenant and all that, and both his boys was killed and they took the Ark of the Covenant and the daughter-in-law that was pregnant, she gave birth to her child, and she named him Ichabod. It means the glory of God has departed. And so here's the deal. Here's what I want you to get. When Ezekiel came on a little day trip in a vision, the Lord brought him to the temple. Here, here's what I want you to understand. Uh, he saw when he got to the north side as he was coming in that entrance, and he saw the, the, the Canaanite uh, pole, uh, to Astarte, the glory of God was leaving the temple. You know why? God's not going to stay where we worship everything and anything but him. They're worshiping to the gods of Canaan. Inside on the walls is the pictures, not a cross, not Jesus, not, not Jehovah, not any of that but the crocodile and the snake and the lizard, etc., the gods of Egypt. And then they turned their backsides to, to God while worshiping Babylonian gods, worshiping the sun, the moon, the 11 stars, and all that kind of stuff. Are you with me? Worshiping everything but God. And here's the deal. Israel had played the harlot. They wanted to enlist the help of Egypt they wanted to enlist the help of Babylon. They wanted to enlist the help of Canaan. 
while holding on to the hand of God. Listen, and God says, I'm a jealous God, and I don't need Canaan, and I don't need Babylon, and I don't need Assyria, and I don't need Egypt or any of these. He said, if you want me, you can have me, but you can't have me and prostitute yourself out with all these others. But we've become numb to it. So numb to it that the leaders, the Sanhedrin court, the leaders would be part of this thing. If anybody should have known better than to desecrate the house of God by painting the gods of the Egyptians on the wall and erecting statues to the gods of the Canaanites and allowing themselves to worship the gods of Babylon. So my deal is this. I want to shake you. That's why I played the video on abortion. You say, wait, well, hey, wait a minute. I, you know, what about it? Listen to me. I know you say, well, it's a, you know, it's a, you say, Pastor, we ought to be, pro I'm pro-choice too. I don't believe I should be told I have to wear a seatbelt, although I am a seatbelt man. I'm going to wear it. But the deal is this. We ain't talking about seatbelts. We're talking about a life that God created in his own image. And anything created in the image of God, he's the giver of life. He's the taker of life. He decides when and where. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And I know that gets kind of fuzzy and dicey. I'm saying that we as the American people, period, have become numb to it. Let me tell you this. Kelly will be coming in just a moment to talk about this shopping trip. She was pregnant with Andrew. It was bad. There was a blood clot above the embryo bigger than the baby. The doctor said need to abort him. And Kelly wasn't having none of that. She said, I'm not going to tell you that the thought didn't just run through my mind. She said, it did, but I, I could not do that. I couldn't, I couldn't allow that. And, and you know what? She didn't. But we came to revival, and we prayed in the altar. And God touched her and miraculously healed her. And when we went back to the doctor, the doctor said, there ain't no blood clot over the sack anymore. I don't understand that. And today, we have Andrew. And we have Carter, and we wouldn't have had neither one of them had we had said, let's just do away with this. We've become numb because we bring so much sin to the house of God. Now listen, we love sinners. All of us are sinners saved by grace. But here's the deal. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we don't continue and perpetuate that sin. We are to crucify the flesh and ask God to help us with addictions. Ask God to help us with deliverance because if we continue down the path of sin, then we are no different than the world. There's no difference in it. They can't tell any difference that they look at us and we do the exact same things. We go just the same places. We talk like them. We walk like them. We are just like them. And you're supposed to be different. And I'm supposed to be different. I'm not saying we're better. I'm saying that if we sin, we fall on our knees and say, God, I should not have said the things that I said. If we do something stupid that we should not have done, we admit it first to God. We admit it to ourselves. And then we have the, the decency to go back to him or her that we have hurt and say, would you please forgive me for not living up to what I should live up to as a Christian. Call on God if you want to. But if you're trying to do it like this while worshiping the Babylonian gods and the Canaanite gods and the Egyptian gods and everybody else. Oh, oh, by the way, there was another group there. I sort of skipped over them, but there was women uh, mourning. And this is verse, verse 14 and 15. There were m women mourning for Tammuz. Can you imagine that? 
women in love with Tammuz. Here it is, another god of pagan mythology. And they are in God's house calling on him, having them sort of like a little seance, if you will, worshiping Tammuz, right in the center of God's house. Now, I'll tell you something. If you hadn't lost your mind, if, you hadn't, if somebody has not numbed you and anesthetized you and desensitized you to the point that you think you could come in the house of God right in the middle right here and worship some other deity. So listen, uh, I want to wake you up. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. Why, why did I tell you this today? I'm glad you asked. Because if we don't wake up and see what is going on in our country, if we don't wake up and see what is going on in our churches, the spiritual sleepiness, are you hearing me? If we don't wake up, we'll die in our sleep. What, what, what are you talking about? I'm not talking about dying when you go to bed tonight, but, you know, uh, I'm talking about in our spiritual stupor of drunkenness, sleepiness, lethargy. When, when, when we can just... You know, everything's all right. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. He understands why. You know, I have to have a little toddy for the body every two or three hours. Hello? He understands why I have to have another man on the side. He understands why I got to have another woman every other month. He understands why I cheat on my taxes and I rob him and pay my car payment with my tithe. He understands all that. You're saying that right in the house of God. God forbid. And I meant for that to sting a bit. I don't care if you say amen. I'm here to preach the truth of God, whether we like it or whether we don't. I want us to see what God sees in us. Because ultimately, he holds me accountable for what I tell you. I refuse to pat you on the back and say, just keep giving, just keep coming, and it's going to be all right. I hate for you to stand before the throne of God and say, but Brother Mike said this was okay. So I ain't going to give you that opportunity. So you might find a church that says it a little more easy. That's okay. But I've made a decision as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Here's my closing. Judas Iscariot, handpicked by Jesus, walked in sweet counsel to the house of God with him, watched him speak to people and raise them from the dead, watched him do great and mighty miracles, sat at the dinner table with him many times over three and a half years. Judas walked in fellowship and unity with him until the dying hours. When Satan filled his heart, and if Judas Iscariot, so close to Jesus, can be tempted by the devil, and he entertains that for money, and he goes and makes a deal with the high priest to betray him and sell him. And even at the Last Supper, Jesus looked at him and gave him one opportunity to repudiate what he was doing. And he wouldn't do it. And so Jesus looked at him and said, what thou doest, do quickly. I'm saying if Judas can be that close to Jesus Christ and blow it, you and I can be right here in the house of God with, with, with 
divided loyalties. I know we don't have crocodiles on the walls and Canaanite poles out there and, you know, worshiping the sun god and cultic activity in here, but I'm saying, if we're not careful, we'll call ourselves a Christian and call ourselves worshiping God while our loyalties are divided over so many. Listen, He will either be the king of your heart or He won't be in your heart. My heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let me ask you a question. Are you struggling with numbness today? And, and if you are, I hope some of the silence when I came down hard and heavy was telling. Because my goal today was not to make you clap. It was not to make you goosebumpy. But my goal today was to shake you out of a sleep before you die in your sleep. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been struggling with numbness. Put your hand up right now, would you? Come on, God bless you, man. Hands going up all over the place. I've been struggling with numbness. Listen, anybody else? How about you, sir, ma'am? Listen, we got time. As PJ plays something, maybe even sing something for me. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat right now and join me. Right? Can, can I get some ministers down here, some, some spirit-filled people? Come on down, if you will. And would you be willing to help me lay hands on these and pray for them? Come on right now in the name of Jesus. Here's the beautiful thing. Friend, if you raise your hand and you, and you come, you'll be the catalyst because everybody else will start walking. I just promise you. If you'll start walking, everybody else will start walking with you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, sir, ma'am. Come on, come on, come on, come on. That's all right. Come on. Come on, that's all right. Come on, if you, come on over, brother. Just a little bit closer with Brother David. Come on. Praise God. That's all right. It's a lot of time people get scared during this time frame. No, 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 no. If you want to come, I ask you to come now. We got, we got the time. I want you to stretch your hands this way, and I want you to pray for these brothers and these sisters that are here in the altar because what they're saying to you and to me as a family is I am here struggling. I'm telling you I'm struggling. I don't know what they're struggling with. I care, but I don't know what it is. But I know God's able to help them right now. So would you join me in praying for them right now?